Welcome to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hell. I'm the pastor at Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Right now, we're working our way through the book of 1 Peter, uh, certainly at a snail's pace, but it's allowing us to really dive in to some of the ideas that Peter is developing for these elect exiles to whom he writes. Yesterday, we talked about our present joy. And before we move on to verses 10 through 12, in, in which the you know Peter kind of shifts gears, I want us to reflect today a little bit deeper on the reality of joy and why we struggle to have it. So I want to take what we've talked about over the last few days in 1 Peter and push into some things specifically surrounding joy. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1, and then I'll pray and continue my remarks. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have strengthened us by your word and that you do strengthen us by your word as your spirit applies it to us, as he gives us ears to hear and eyes to see, as he applies to us the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Well, as we think about joy, we, we have some questions that we need to ask. As we talked about yesterday, we, this is a present joy that Peter is talking about. He says it's a joy that we do have, that we do rejoice. Though we don't believe him, or, or that we don't now see him, we believe him, present tense, and rejoice, present tense, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So this raises a question for us. Is there this gospel-wrought present joy in our life? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not asking here, is, is life, is our life filled, you know, is it all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns? That's not what I'm asking. That's not the biblical picture of joy as we're going to see. It's not, you know, a silliness. It's, it's not a, a silly happiness in the face of suffering. It's not, you know, fiddling while the Titanic goes down. That's not what's going on with biblical gospel-wrought joy in the believer's life. But I think even with that concession, sometimes we struggle with joy. And so it would be good for us to ask, why is that? Why is it that we struggle to have joy? Why is it that so often despair or anxiety or, or whatever it is that you count as kind of the, the opposite pole of joy, why is it 
that that so often is our norm. There's a couple of things I think we can tease out as we look at the biblical view of things. First of all, we have to understand that this isn't the case. Our joy doesn't go away because of our circumstances. That's not why we lose joy. A lot of times, that's what we will point to. We will point to the difficulty of marriage or the difficulty of children or the difficulty of life or the difficulty of of injustice or the difficulty of finances or the difficulty of illness or or the pain and suffering involved in these things. We'll point to the general brokenness of the world. Some may point to persecution. We'll point to all these different circumstances as the reason we lack joy. But again and again and again in Scripture, we see that joy comes in the face of all of those difficulties. See, the problem, the reason that I think we lose joy is because we tend to look to our circumstances for that which only Jesus can provide. So in a backwards way, it is attached to our circumstances, but it's attached to them because we're looking to them for what only Jesus can provide for us. In other words, we're the ones attaching joy to our circumstances rather than attaching it to Jesus Christ. See, the reality is even good circumstances, if we look to them for joy, will absolutely rob us blind because we know that they can fail in a moment's notice. We know that Markets can crash, that, 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 that sin can just ravage things so quickly, that health can fail immediately, that we can wake up to a cancer diagnosis or, or, or whatever it may be. And if our joy is attached to those good circumstances, we know that. And so there's never really a true joy there. It's not popular to to think in these terms, but but the Bible regularly connects joylessness and anxiety and anger and, and all of these other despairing outlooks on life with faithlessness, with not looking to Jesus. Peter is driving at this very reality when he deals with the elect exiles. There's a number of passages that we could go to where we see this same word used in Old Testament and the New Testament. And what we see when we do this again and again and again is that joy to which Peter is calling these elect exiles is never attached to circumstances. It's always attached to Jesus. And oftentimes it is attached to Jesus in the face of and in spite of the suffering circumstances that we face, just as it is here with the elect exiles. If we think about their circumstance, their situation, it seems absolutely appalling that we would call them to joy, that Peter would talk about their present joy. Yet this is what he does. Why is that? Well, Psalm 126, one of the Psalms of Ascent, is really quite instructive on this matter. It's instructive because it it deals with both exile and joy. I'll read Psalm 126, a, a song of ascents. 
When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. See, what Psalm 126 is getting at is the reality that in the exile that they faced, as we see in Jeremiah and a number of other places, what we see is that God had caused their ceasing to or their joy to cease because of their faithlessness. He removed joy. He restored their joy when he returned them to the land, when when he brought the exile to an end. What we see with the coming of Christ is that the ultimate exile has been brought to a final end. That the kingdom of God that Paul tells us is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God has broken into the present. This is that eschatological reality of the, the already and the not yet that we talk about. Yes, it has not been consummated, but it has been inaugurated, and we now live with this present joy. That's why Peter can write to these elect exiles, because the the fortunes that were restored to Zion have now been fully restored and are kept and guarded for us in heaven, who we ourselves are being guarded by the power of God. So he can talk about this present joy. A guy named Stephen S. Smalley, who was an Anglican bishop, wrote an article in the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology on joy. I want to read a couple of excerpts from it because it's quite helpful. He writes, Joy is characteristic of the life of faith. It marks out both the community and the individual believer. Joy is a quality and not simply an emotion of which God is both the object and the giver. The prophetic literature of the Old Testament is strongly marked by an eschatological hope which looks beyond current sufferings, notably in the exile, to the joy of new blessing and fullness of life in the Messianic age. The New Testament writers are clear that Israel's Messianic expectations are joyfully fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. In him can be found a spiritual joy which is personal, both individual and corporate, attained through suffering and not from this world. There is joy in suffering because it leads to heavenly reward. It produces character and endurance, and above all, it is for the sake of Christ Jesus and his body. The paradox of Christian faith is that sorrow may be transformed into gladness by the Spirit. The joy to which Peter calls these elect exiles and us is not some glib, pie-in-the-sky, rainbows and unicorns kind of happiness in the face of suffering that we're ignoring. It's a joy that because Christ has conquered sin and death, because of his resurrection, there is a joy that triumphs over the sorrows and sufferings and laments of this life. This is why Paul says, 
we can mourn at the face of death, but we mourn as those who have hope. When we find ourselves in some joyless spot in life, we would do good to stop and set our heart and mind and eyes again on Christ Jesus, our Savior, who has joyfully fulfilled all of the promises found in the Old Testament and in whom we now, even through suffering, have a present joy. It's hard for us to accept But our joylessness that we experience has its roots in faithlessness. And so we run back again to Jesus in faith, fixing our eyes on him and being filled with joy by his spirit. May he be with you. Amen. 